0: Greetings, building science enthusiasts, and welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. This episode is proudly brought to you by the Healthy Building Network. HBN has a vision. All people and the planet thrive when the environment is free of hazardous chemicals. Their mission is to advance human and environmental health by improving hazardous chemical transparency and inspiring product innovation. They pursue their mission on three fronts. One research and policy, uncovering cutting-edge information about healthier products and health impacts. Two, data systems, producing software platforms that aggregate and catalog product transparency and chemical hazards. And three, education and capacity building, fostering others' capabilities to make informed decisions. When we know better, we do better. To learn more about Healthy Building Network and access their suite of resources, visit www.healthybuilding.net. That's www.healthybuilding.net. Now enjoy the rest of the episode.
1: Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to this. Okay. Uh, Welcome Welcome to the Building Science science Podcast. 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 Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. (laughs) Bringing
2: the human factor to architecture and design. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas.
1: Okay, hello and welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm here, as always, with my trusty sidekick, Miguel. Hello, everyone. He's so profound. He always knows what to say. (laughs) I'm here with uh, Kyle and Connor Fagan, and we are going to talk about a passive house project in Dallas and some of the data collection that has come from that. So, um, we'll start with you, Kyle, please introduce yourself, a little bit of background.
3: My name's Kyle Fagan. I was a commercial developer for a while and uh, got into home building, Um, and uh, we started to see if we could uh, do some things to homes, spec homes, to make them uh, more efficient and make the numbers work, and uh, uh, that led into... uh, Connor joining uh, me, and, and we built the first um, International Passive House in the state of Texas.
1: Right, and in Dallas, Texas. In Dallas, Texas. And so, Connor, quick introduction. Who are you, and yeah, why so are you here?
4: Yeah, <laughs> so I'm, I'm Connor Fagan. I'm kind of our resident millennial with all the monitoring and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the Passive House has been a really interesting you know, project, and we've learned a lot from it. You know, yeah. stuff that we'll carry forward to future projects whether they're passive or not so it's just kind of a different way of doing things how did you how did you first get the idea to do a passive house here in Dallas <laughs>
3: well, a friend of mine sent me an article on passive houses and I didn't know what a passive house was but I read the article and I thought wow that is that's awesome and uh, I said I, I need to do that and uh, I sent the uh, the article to Connor and he uh, he had the same feeling about it that I did and one thing led to another and here we are. Do you yeah. remember what article it was? Is yeah. it the one in the New York Times or
1: I, I don't even remember. And do you remember that I still had? What was awesome. Like what was awesome about it for you? The energy energy um, deep, deep energy cut? The the deep energy cuts,
3: just the the you know, what it the benefits of living in a house like that, the benefits for the people living in it, obviously, the benefits to the environment. Um I just thought this, that, that got me a
4: lot more charged than just building a house. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the thing that initially kind of got my attention as far as, you know, passive is concerned is, you know, especially living in Texas, it's a cooling dominated climate. You know, we're, we're very, very intimate with our air conditioners here. You know, (laughs) it's something that we, you know, you notice when it kicks on and off and, you know, just to think that there's a different way of doing things that's, you know, more efficient, it's going to cost you less money in the end and it's more comfortable, you know, it's more of a, you know, a, a passive system where it's not something that you you know notice that it turns on and off it's just a different way of doing things it's more fluid and you know it just seems like a smarter way to go about it good so do you pick that up from
1: this article that, so here's to the power of the fifth estate in the press. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's interesting I, I've been associated with passive house for years now probably I'm not I'm not crazy number of years like 2011 or something was my first conference and I'm getting it. "Quote unquote," getting it more and more, and where I'm at now is passive in the sense of the components of the house that mainly just sit there. They're passive. They're durable. You do you uh, decide what you're going to do, and you do it, and you want it to be done forever. So the enclosure, mm-hmm. right? The the windows, um, the air distribution system, not the active boxes, but the the other piece of passive house that that's coming now is the, the just the quality right quality design matters we live in a world where there are there's tremendous sophistication offered to us every day and yet not so much for houses right mm-hmm. for, for you as a developer excuse me I hope this doesn't sound like I'm poking you in the eye right I would bet that was an economic series of transactions and a lot of the decisions Kyle had an economic basis yeah
3: some bigger ones actually what do you mean by that Just in amounts of money that it takes to do those projects, time it takes to do them, you know. So there's a lot of
1: schedule and budget. That's what you're paying attention to.
3: Yeah, and not a lot of freedom to uh, get creative. Uh, You know, I think even less of a uh, a want or need in that arena for the types of things we're doing with high performance homes or a passive house.
1: (laughs) We didn't mean to make this episode about developers, but. I'm interested to know when you were doing those developments. Were there conversation along the lines of, "Well, if we do this, the building won't last as long, or the air quality won't be as good, or the tenant will have high bills"? Were those conversations woven in? No, I, I think
3: it was a little more of this is just kind of how it's done, and this is the way we do it, and this is how we make the numbers work. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. There weren't a lot of, uh, weren't a lot of construction. Decisions other than maybe materials,
4: mm-hmm. that type of thing. I mean, did you guys ever even mention air quality or indoor air quality? Yeah, not on the it, radar. It was yeah, it was foreign to me at that point yeah. in time. And you know, when you're when you're evaluating projects of that scale, I mean, you're you're dealing with a you know Excel spreadsheet. It's not looking at the different equipment options and figuring out what would work best for the house or yeah. you know the, yeah. what you're trying to accomplish. It's really it's a numbers game. Mm-hmm. So. Just trying to make the numbers work, yeah. It's not like uh, on Austin Powers, you know, Dr. Evil. Look what you did to Mr. Bigglesworth!
1: <laughs> <Mwah>, right? <laughs> it's not like you're doing that, it's just there's this swing and a miss in the sense that I'm not even realizing that I'm making durability decisions today. I didn't even notice I was making an air quality decision today, yeah, yeah. Uh, or an energy use decision, which is quite profound mm-hmm.
4: and since they were really just building the shelves and then the, the tenants or new owners would finish it out you know for their own purposes really it's interesting because you even verbalized that all most of what you dealt with and what you guys dealt with was the enclosure because mm-hmm. that's what you were responsible for providing right. you know in the finish out from there it's so you know it's, it's a different way of looking at it mm-hmm. that's funny you were responsible
1: for the enclosure but you weren't really relating to it as a, a functional element no yeah. No. Yeah. This is just what's done. Yeah, I think that's that's so important. What a great place to start this episode, right? That here we have across the country professionals involved in the act of delivering conditions space to us, to our you know to society in some sense, and yet they really um, they're good people, hardworking people, caring people that don't even realize they're. I'm just gonna say it. They're not really on their game. It's not on their radar.
4: They don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the unknown unknowns. I mean, and I don't think that's just on the commercial side either. I mean, I think whether you're building, you know, a home with, you're a homeowner building with a custom builder or you're a builder, you know, that's just builds specs. I mean, it really doesn't matter. I mean, until you kind of start thinking about these things differently and how they all work together and just make it not just about the numbers, you know, it's... You're just going to be doing what everyone else is doing, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so you set out
1: to build this passive house here in Dallas, and you started by finding an architect here, or how, how did that? How did it work? How did it go? We had a hard time finding an architect here.
3: Uh, we didn't know any of you guys that we've met along the way. Now, you know, in the Austin area, uh, we ended up using some architects from Manhattan. From Manhattan. Yep. Internet. They were certified international. Uh, Passive House Architects. So and PHI. PHI. And, and you met them. How did you get in touch with them? Uh, just kind of a random uh, thing that happened. I used to live in Connecticut. I was on the New Canaan Historical Society email list. I saw that uh, Bill Ryle uh, of Ryle Sheridan Architects uh, was speaking at a New Canaan Historical Society function about... And he was Passive House certified, and he was talking about mid-century homes, and I thought, I need to call that guy. So I <laughs> called him, he called me back, didn't know me from Adam. And uh, next thing I knew, uh, Connor and I were, went up to New York to
1: meet him, and we up wow. hiring him. Yeah. Well, well, good for you guys, and good for him, right? There, there really is this sort of this uh, insiders on the Passive House, yeah. and hopefully mm-hmm. it'll, become, it'll become the norm. So you you worked with him back and forth then remotely over some months?
3: Yeah. uh, Bill wasn't real active with ours. Uh, 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 Ted Sheridan was kind of the lead uh, on it, and uh, Will Robinette Robinette was uh, the one we dealt with more on a day-to-day basis. And uh, they came down a couple times during construction. Uh, oh, we, so they stayed during construction administration? Or? They, they, they came down a couple times, and uh, we talked very often. You know, we had never done this before. Mm-hmm. And uh, so
1: uh, it, we, were, we were pretty focused on, on this project. Mm-hmm. So you guys decided to make a deeper commitment to quality. And you got a design at this point now, and, and it has... A lot of continuous insulation. It's got some details that are new. Um, it's got an ERV, mm-hmm. um, and then you go try to hire people. Was that just a piece of cake?
4: It was not. <laughs> uh, if it was not. We go ahead. Well, it was a little hard because one, we had no historicals for building any you know a house like this, so uh, you know most of the numbers that we had from previous projects couldn't be applied. Um, you know, and then, you know, oh, while yeah. we're trying to control the costs on one, you know, one side, we're also trying to make sure that, you know, the mechanical contractor that we're talking to is going to be able to install, you know, this Mitsubishi system that, you know, now that we've installed it, it's, it's plug and play. It's, it's a lot simpler than, you know, traditional four air setup, you know, but a lot of these guys that we would talk to, they'd say, so, uh, is this for an office? And we're like, no, it's for a home. And, and. They're like, well, uh, we've never done that in a home, you know, so it was, um, you know, trying to control costs on a number of things, you know, whether it's insulation. I mean, this, the amount of insulation that went into this house is crazy. But at the end of the day, you know, comparing, you know, that to what we were paying for insulation before, it really wasn't all that much more, especially for the value that you get out of it, you Mm -hmm. know. So, you know, it was hard, one, without historicals to control the cost, but then two, making sure that we could find someone who could perform the work and could perform the work the way that we knew it needed to be done. Yeah. And we lost some of our subs along
3: the way. We had to find some new ones uh, for different things. Uh, We had to source materials and equipment that we had never sourced before. Mm -hmm. So... The whole design phase and just even getting ready to break ground took an extended time.
1: Yes. Yeah. So when you were right. interviewing subs, and would you tell them it was a passive house? We we did, and we tried and to they tell and say, and that's what? What is that? Yeah, they didn't. <laughs> yeah,
3: they didn't really know, and uh, you know, we'd have to say, you know, we'd have to do things differently sometimes out of sequence, um, kind of above and beyond
1: probably what you've done before. And, That's uh, a good way to get real low bid, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got some crazies. It's minutes. gonna be hard. It's gonna take you longer, and you're not gonna know what
3: you're doing. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. And uh, so, and you know, we're figuring out some of this along the way as well. You know, so uh, it was it was interesting. Uh, our framer calls it our Europa house. And why? Uh, he, he just I guess because it's pure right. And. Yeah. Europe, and uh, he's like, are you going to build any more of these Europa houses? And I'm like, I don't know. Are you going to frame them if I do? <laughs> How does he answer that? What does he say? Uh, he's not really communicating a lot with us now, so I
4: don't know. <laughs> I mean, the reality is, though, he made more money than he would have off framing you know, that passive house than he would a comparable amount of square footage. I mean, hmm. we paid him a premium for the work. So, you know, while it, there was a learning curve to it, towards the end, I mean, these crews that we were working with, you know, it... it it only took us kind of explaining what needed to be done on a small portion of the wall for them to really get to work and start cranking it out, you know? So while there was more labor involved, you know, the materials cost is more on our side. We were expecting that we know what the tape's gonna cost, we know what the insulation's gonna cost, sheathing, you name it. Um but yeah, I mean it it theoretically is more profitable for someone like a framer, you know. Mm-hmm. It's more billable labor hours and you know, at at the end of the day you end up with a better product, you know. And I don't know about him, but I'd rather, you know, warranty something that's that well put together, you know, mm-hmm. compared to something that's barely meeting code, that's just the bare minimum that you have to do, I mean, so, if it's, you know, potentially more profitable for the trades and easier to warranty, less headaches, here, makes here. sense to me. Yeah. We did talk about this a little bit, but, um, you know, some of the guys,
3: frankly, even through the vetting process, you know, once they're on the job, they just didn't have a great attitude. Mm. and. But it was interesting, in, in, in at least a, two or three different situations, as mm-hmm. we explained to them why they were having to do what we were asking them to do, or you know, and that this house would be a house that had next to no utility bills. You know, then the light kind of came on for them, and it's like they're like, "Whoa, okay," and it's like mm-hmm. they saw a, a, a reason to the madness, you know, and it was it was really cool to see mm-hmm. how then they sort of
4: came on board with what we were trying to do yeah and what was interesting mean, too, you need a sense of meaning why am I doing this yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What one thing that was interesting too that I at least haven't seen um, I don't know about you but we had subs that would call us after the house was completed and be like how's it do it? What are the bills like? You know, did well, did you accomplish your goal? Yeah, and like you know, our guys that did our air sealing—that was half the framing crew, half the insulation crew. Let me ask you about that. Both of them, even though you know we had a little bit of trouble getting the framer started, both of them called us and they said, "Where'd you come in on your blower door?" You know, they they cared. You know, they had a, they understood the reason for it. They put the time and the effort into it, and they want to make sure that they you know done a good job for us. So. Mm-hmm. That was they don't realize it, but it's going to be a bragging, right? for them
2: Exactly. At point. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And, and so you, you did your air control layer and there's a lot of continuous insulation outside of that. Mm-hmm. And there's cellulose in the wall. We've talked about that.
4: So the, what, what, what was your sheathing? Was it zip sheathing? Yeah, or? We just use zip and we taped it with our test Vanna tape. Um, so pretty much going from, you didn't that, use the zip tape. We did not no, use no, the was zip it. tape. Um, so is there a reason for that? The TASCON, we know that it's vapor permeable. Um, we figure just for uniformity, awesome. go ahead and use that. I mean, there is an increased cost. Comp- what does that stuff run roll? Oh, 35 wow, 36 dollars. bucks a roll. It's expensive for tape. Yeah. And but I will tell you, I mean, you get that tape on your fingernails, it's on there for a month. It does not <laughs> come off. So I don't know about zip tape, but I mean this stuff is really sticky, gummy. It's, it's a good product. It's a great product. Yeah, they, they
1: might both be acrylic, and they might both be pressure-sensitive. But, mm-hmm. yeah, the Good Tape Siga is another one. Mm-hmm. And so you were giving rolls of 30, $36 rolls of tape out to people who were using it for the first time. Were you also <laughs> explaining
4: to them, this is a $36 roll of tape? Yeah. I mean, we would place, like, $1,000 tape orders, you know? And oh, my was, gosh. Oh, it was crazy. It was crazy. Well, between, between that and, that and the Antello, yeah. you know,
3: it was... Uh, but you know we so, were, so that was your vapor control. That we, wasn't it was. We, so we take the intello, we tape the zip, we tape the polystyrene on the outside. Of course, tape the windows. We use the same thing um, for the air barrier in the windows. Um, and we used a lot of, of that Tescon Vanna tape.
1: Yeah, it was our friend. So. <laughs> wow. Okay. And you mentioned
4: insulation. How? What? What is it, our value of a wall in your house? Uh, I think the walls are R thirty six, and I believe the ceiling is R forty eight. I think that's right. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, and then we've got crazy over the top high. It's really not, and our climate zone really doesn't dictate that we have to have just you know insane amounts of insulation. No, the the temperature difference is here, aren't exactly? And one difference too is you know people are used to typically putting on you know dark roof. Most you know composition shingle roofs are gray or black, sometimes black. You know. But we ended up using TPO and that's just white, it's reflective, you know, it's, it's a, a clean looking product mm-hmm. and the, it, it was funny because playing around with the PHPP model, he was showing me the difference if we went with a black TPO, you know, this is the value, if we went with a white and it was just, it was far and away, you know, less heat gain, more reflectivity, exact same product, no increased cost. And you know the roof on this one's just not super visible, so it really didn't matter whether we did black or white. You know, at the end of the day, so. Mm-hmm. Well, it did for energy use. But it no did I for energy use, but from an aesthetic standpoint, you're you right. Know? Mm-hmm. You know, and I've been
1: associated with projects where there's some uh, woofy models, hydrothermal mm-hmm. models, showing that in fact, uh, if there are moisture issues, the black roof is preferential. The black roof will absorb more heat and cause the moisture to go into vapor form. Huh. So it's interesting. interesting. It's not always that the light roof is the best, but just it just yeah. depends, you know, it's like retrofit situations. The roof is TPO, there's a, there's a lot of continuous insulation under it, That's, is that right? Yes, is yeah. there any you have an inch and a half under the TPO? And then it's cavity in, under the inside?
3: What do you have? Ten. Uh, Twelve inches I of it's, uh, blown cellulose in the, and the it's netted or it's, up it right? was it was
4: netted with intello oh yeah so the intello which is our air barrier acts as the netting and then we dense pack the cellulose and mm-hmm. all the you know between the joists mm-hmm. and the wall cavities mm-hmm. so you know while you would typically have to put up netting for you know the cellulose that kind of did both jobs for us so. yeah.
1: There's, there's many ways to do that, but I've, I've heard of that one. So you got your framing crew and your insulation crew working together. Mm-hmm. Um, the roofer didn't need anything different. It was all normal when he got there or she got there. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's talk about systems in this house. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you have a Mitsubishi VRF system.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: How many air handlers I mean
4: so we have three zones throughout the house. We have one zone for, you know, the main downstairs area, kitchen, living room, that sort of thing. Uh, the master's also downstairs, and that's on its own separate zone. And the master and the upstairs zone are on a shared condenser. Okay. So, so two condensers, three zones. Two condensers, three zones. The master upstairs are shared, and then the uh, downstairs common areas is a one-to-one. So those are all Mitsubishi's, Slimline, uh, what were those that Compact ducted. Yeah, compact ducted. And, you know, aside from the fact that you can pretty much put them anywhere, they're just so, you know, thin and small that you can, you know, wherever you have room, it's easy to plan for them, I guess. They're really yeah. so like eight inches to. tall and 30 by 30, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that made it pretty easy in the end. I mean... We oh, in team. the end, let's explore that. In the end, once we found you know, once we found someone to put them in for us that we were confident, you know, do a good job for us, it was it was fine. Okay, Pretty so let's explore same. that. Once we found, what was it like finding an installer? Well, it was. It was difficult because a lot of these guys don't break down what the, you know, equipment cost versus the labor and install cost is going to be. Some wanted to use different ducting than others, uh, you know. And at that point, we had a rough mechanical layout, but we didn't have an exact plan to send to these guys and say, hey, here's exactly what we want. You know, here's the exact linear feet of ducting that we need. Here's where it's going. You know, it wasn't quite like that. And, you know, we also were trying to find someone that could do both the Mitsubishi systems for us, you know, ended up finding a great guy in the end, um, but that could also install, you know, test and balance and everything, the ERV. You know, those Zender ERVs have oh, yeah. lots of settings on them, lots of different ways that, you know, they could be installed, but there was one specific way that we needed to do it, you know? their English kind of, instructions were very short. That was the other thing is, <laughs> you know, this controller is the most antiquated thing I've seen, especially for the price point, you know, for this to be one of the best ERVs on the market, if not the best. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting because I found myself having to go to the German instructions, and just trying to figure out and look at the logos and symbols and kind of just visually read through it because the German instructions were twice as long as the English ones. So a lot of the information that the German instructions had weren't in our language you know there was no resource to get that i I was literally on google translate for some of it so oh my gosh i've we've talked to them about that since and they're like you know we're coming (laughs) up with an english one don't worry you only have to do this once but that being said i mean it was it was a tricky deal it really was i mean whether you're talking about the initial install making sure that we had the right you know airflow rates for each room you know passive house I'm not, you know, super familiar with U.S. passive, but international. I mean, they have airflow air CFM requirements for each portion Same of the house. Yes. Same with us, yeah. So, you know, it was important that we get the number of returns to each room that were supposed to be there. Same thing with the supplies. And we, should, we should clarify for the audience, this is a whole house ERV. Whole home ERV, exactly. It's a Zinder Comfo Air 350. I believe there are 15 supplies and 15 returns But yeah, so whole home system, we've got Merv 8 filters in there, so whether it's pulling fresh air in from the outside, you know, or pulling stale air in from the house, you know, it it runs it through those filters, so... So it's literally the lungs of the home. It's the lungs I mean, of the home. And it interfaces with the lungs of the home occupant. Exactly. It's a very and there's boost mode for the bathroom vents. Yeah, so rather than having a traditional, you know, ventilation fan, vent fan in the bathroom, um, there's a button that cranks it up to hundred percent capacity for a defined period of time. Right now we have it set at I think about ninety percent capacity for boost for thirty minutes. Uh, but it really just takes the place of a ventilation fan. And, you know, it's not just for the water closets. That could be, you know, for the kitchen. There's a boost, you know, button in the kitchen that if you're cooking, you can click that. And it helps get rid of some of those, you know, cooking emissions, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. So Yeah, I want to talk about that when we get to the data point, the mm-hmm. data part of this uh, interview. What did you do for uh, domestic hot water? Domestic hot water, we have uh, Navien 200,000 BTU. um tankless gas heater with a recirc loop built in uh, recirc built in recirc loop and we made that as sure as we could but you know at the end of the day the our architects were really good about making the plumbing footprint as compact as possible so really our plumbing cost on this house was lower than some of these other houses that we've done just because it was well thought out nice you know? that's an important one to hear yeah, yeah. i'm
2: going to jump back to another the the other fluid we were talking about air and there is a humidity
4: control this yes. One else, right? Yeah. So we have a Ultra Air MD33, just standalone wall dehumidifier. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's 70 pints yeah, per day, so. and I can't remember off the top of my head how many kilowatts it is per pint. Uh, but it's it's a it's really efficient. Mm-hmm. You know, it's up there with. I think it's a little lower on pints. Is it a little lower on
1: pints? Maybe 35 pints a day. But and yeah, well, those are also rated I, at... Yeah, I have one in
2: my house, too, and, and I've measured it, and it does exceed it's what it says in the literature in terms of capacity and what it actually pulls out, but I think for safety's sake, we can, we can call it 30, 30 mm-hmm. 35. 35
4: to 40, yeah. maybe higher. Yeah. And he uses... Yeah, you're right. it uses very little. That's cool hmm and what's been interesting, too, is, um, you know, we worked with Zender, the maker of the ERV, on putting uh, temperature and humidity wireless sensors in all the returns for the house on, on the heating and cooling side cool. and all the supplies we've got sensors on the fresh air intake to know what the incoming temperature and humidity is. We've got it on the exhaust to see what we're exhausting out of the house. We've got it on all the plenums around the core within the ERV. So we've you know, we can at any time look and see how the house is performing, exactly what the conditions are. And, you know, if something like the ERV were, you know, to need the filters change or something like that, you can tell from those, you know, temperature and humidity readings if it's doing what it needs to be doing. So mm-hmm. I want to go to the data side in energy monitoring, but
1: before we go, go let's stay on this more, more soft side, the market transformation piece. So this is not just a passive house in Dallas, this is a passive house that's also a spec house mm-hmm. in Dallas. And uh, any comments on how the process has been going? Uh, with the realtor do, do you feel like your realtor gets it let's just start with that one and gets it you know what I mean. by gets it
3: yeah. we we do feel like our realtor gets it um uh, they have worked very hard to understand the ins and outs of a passive house and and they can uh, communicate that to other brokers oh that's fantastic. potential buyers yeah we we've been super pleased with that um the thing that has been uh, a little bit frustrating is that um, we just thought that naturally this was going to be the the next greatest thing since sliced bread. It was going to fly off the shelf, and and that hadn't happened. Yeah. And um, so um, it's it's been a little bit trying, you know. Uh, one of the one of our Goals and and passions is that more people would know about passive houses. I mean, if you pull 10 people off the street, probably about 10 people aren't going to (laughs) know what (laughs) passive is. And so, you know, for more people to know that it's out there, it's available, the benefits of it for for architects, for builders, um, because these homes are within reach for people and they're, they're a much better home in, in so many different ways. Um, so we just, uh, we're,
4: we're doing what we can to, to get the word out, you know? Yeah. You know, another thing that's been tricky too is, you know, at the end of the day in our market, there are no comparisons for this house. You know, you Whoa, can't, yeah. you can't just look at the house and say, Oh, you know, the cost per foot's, you know, X, the na- you know, that fits in with the neighborhood or doesn't. It's not about that. You know, it's trying to convey to potential buyers the, you know, the, health benefits of the passive house, explaining at the same time how it works and how all these systems work together, you know, explaining things like, you know, the heating and cooling truly in this house only raise and lower the temperature. They're not required because we have separate, totally, you know, separately ducted systems for air circulation, filtration, and ventilation. You know, you have to explain to people how these systems all work together and that really, the, the HVAC system, if you will, in this house is, you know, a three-part system that all kind of work in tandem together to, you know, keep the house, you know, stable and ideal as possible. So, you know, while we're trying to convey the value to people, explain why, you know, they should be willing to pay a little bit more per foot because the carrying cost is vastly lower, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tricky deal. And, you know, from our standpoint, to be quite honest, you know, we're looking at You know, we're comparing our listing to the rest of the neighborhood, slowly lowering the price, trying to decide for ourselves, you know, since we're the first people that have done this, how much does it make sense to drop the price at this next reduction? You know, how much do, how close do we want to, how quickly do we want to bring ourselves quote unquote in line with the market where we know we can get the thing sold, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, for us, it's kind of a cost benefit analysis of, you know, it might be worth Keeping the house on the market a little longer than we would with some of these other houses to try to establish that comparison that we would need moving forward to you know sell sell yeah. these houses further. Yeah, you're truly really pioneers in that sense.
3: Yeah, you know, and the energy savings are a little bit easier to quantify. Obviously, I mean, you can look at the total cost of ownership over time with the reduced bills and the small increment in a in a mortgage. Uh, but then when you talk about the comfort. How do you put a dollar figure on that? When you talk about the increased air quality and how that can benefit your whole family, you know, especially if you have allergies or asthma or other breathing disorders, how do you put a price tag on that? So, you know, once people understand them, I think it's a little bit easier for them to see, you know, why it would be worth paying a little bit more for this. But if they just look at it on MLS, and they see the square footage, and they see the price, and they don't really understand what it is that they would be getting if they bought the house, they're probably just gonna go on
1: to the next house, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I mean, preaching to the choir, Miguel and I both work for Positive Energy, and we do mechanical designs, and air quality and thermal comfort are invisible. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> spend more money on this invisible thing. Uh, one thing I, um, that I know that I wish you could do, I'm thinking of, is I wish you could say to a prospective buyer, "Come spend a few days in this house. Spend the night in this house. You know, like maybe your next one could be like a passive Airbnb <laughs> or something. Because you know, we go through life led by our neocortex, neocortical based decisions." But really, those neocortical decisions are trying to give us a good, you know, a happy life or a, a pleasant life. And that's a, that's a felt sense. I'm having a good day. I'm having, that felt sense is what Passive House impacts, right? You're, you're immersed in a, a quiet, thermally stable, clean air environment. And, you, you know, you go in there, you stay in there, you feel it. You start to feel it. Yeah, we spent some time, just for the audience to say, we spent some time in this house yesterday
2: it was extremely comfortable. It's beautiful uh, design. It's there is truly a felt sense in that space that you can't get from any other
1: average house on the market. Yeah, but yeah, you yet yeah, you drive your car through a neighborhood, and what do you see? House, 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 house. One of them was a passive house, and yet there's no. Striking market differentiator, you know. It's not like, no blow. Blow. <laughs> 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 it's like, oh, is that the angel singing? Is <laughs> your, like, what What can we do? You know, we, we gotta we, that's the podcast, you know, education and advocacy. And go talk to your local HBA, go talk to your local appraisers group, go talk to your local realtor's group and explain. Not all houses are the same, there's dimensions of quality. You know, you guys pick certain cars and certain electronic components. Same thing with homes. There's so much more than just how big is it and what, what's the countertop made of. And, and yeah, that's why I mentioned a realtor. I mean, I don't, I don't want to single that part of the ecosystem out that helps deliver houses to people. But I have worked with a lot of real estate agents over the years doing spec homes. And there's staging it and then there's the counters and the colors. And, you know, they are, you know, rightfully representing what the buyers tell them matters. So I guess they're really not the ones that source that, but they're representing it, and that like
4: ah that doesn't matter, you know, but mm-hmm. it does matter because it does matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, from the get go, we we've, we've known that you know aesthetics are going to be important for this one. So really, our goal before we even sat down with the architects initially was you know to make this house as you know unassuming as possible. We do not want you to be able to drive up to this house or walk through this house and tell that there's something drastically different about it. We don't want people to know, be able to see the things, the components that make the, you know, the house as efficient as it is, you know, and really set it apart from the other new construction houses in the neighborhood. So that was
1: something that... Oh, come on. I want you to, I want you to walk them out to those outdoor units and turn them on and say, this is how quiet yes, it is. Do you hear how quiet this is? And yeah. that, that quality pervades this mechanical system. It's interesting,
3: I, I, just to add one more thing, you, you know,
1: know um,
3: I think the, the thing that we thought would make this house stand apart and would attract people was that it was passive and that it's comfortable and that it's quiet and that it's healthy and that, you know, it's durable and the, the, the utility bills are going to be very, very low. But I think the fact that it was the first passive and it was all these things, I think that might have actually and maybe still continued to kind of scare some people yeah. off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So but it's not the first
1: passive house, it's just the first one
3: in Dallas. It's the first one around here, but it's just it's that it's new and it's different and mm-hmm. it's the first one here and
2: first can be a bit of a, yeah. a
4: double sided or double edged sword. So instead of it being greatness, it's like, I don't know, you know. What do they not know? Yeah. <laughs> And here's the other thing too is especially in our market there is a huge jump from what someone expects and sees on the market today in a home that is efficient per se. In other parts of even Texas down in Austin, you know, you have homes that aren't necessarily passive or have some sort of certification or stamp on them, but you know, that's something that the market is more used to seeing is, sure. you know, small improvements like mechanicals for instance that will, you know, reduce the operating costs of the home, make it run, you know, better overall, be healthier, you know, etc. Mm -hmm. Um, But for our market, you know, from what we've seen, it's people want larger homes. They, you know, want them to do exactly what they expect them to do, right? So it's not even really, I think, the fact that it's passive or the first or anything like that. I think it could even more be attributable to the fact that efficiency is not something that is prevalent in our market. Mm. And so it's a cultural shift. It's a, a cultural creation. shift, and especially selling something mm. on its efficiency is not something that I mean in Dallas. It's all about the bling and you know big homes. You know, like you were saying on a previous podcasts, just feeling secure in your investment. You know, it, it just it's one of those things. It's it's more of an ego sort of purchase rather than you know oh this house might make more sense than the next option. You mm-hmm. know, and you know it's not rational. It's emotional. Exactly. Mm-hmm
3: practically every builder today builds green, you know, okay, so you define that, you know. The greenwashing. So what makes this house that much greener than
4: this greenhouse, you know, Mm -hmm. so that can be a little frustrating too. One thing that's been interesting too is where this, uh, you know, Lively project is, is in, you know, a a specific neighborhood. So that's the name of the the street, Lively? Yeah, it's a Lively Circle. It's off a Lively Lane. It's in Midway Hollow in Dallas. Uh, but what's been interesting to see is before, you know, oh, new house and sax tile, you know, yada, yada, big backyard, outdoor entertaining area. Since we've listed this house, all of a sudden, all these new houses have green features all of a sudden. And they'll mention the seer that, you know, AC setup. That's not something that was on any listing description wow. before. So, Thank you for doing that. Well, it's just been interesting to see how what it's kind of changed problem? all the other listings and it's kind of already started to refocus that a bit, uh, you know, to where we think things ultimately need to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the buyers that
1: want the bling, they're associating bling with quality and quality that they appreciate. And I think, yeah, just waking them up to the fact, if you say, do you want your house to be durable? Do you want it to be comfortable? Do you want it to be efficient? They do want those things. They're just not yet maybe trafficking in that value preference system space. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing as people who go to Whole Foods to get
2: organic groceries. I There's think. Whole Foods here, right? There yeah, are. Yeah. There are certainly that value preference system exists, but it has it has not realized its kind of full scope. Yet. Yeah, you taste like the Whole Foods
1: of houses. Yeah. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so I, or the Tesla of houses. I'd like to get a little more crunchy because I know you guys did put a lot of work into actually monitoring how the house is performing. So if you really want to set yourself
4: apart as green builders, let's hear yeah. what you did. So what yeah. did you monitor? You <laughs> monitored electricity? So yeah, we have an energy monitor to monitor electricity usage, um, and that's aggregate data that has device detection. So it's not circuit-by-circuit circuit monitoring, but essentially accomplishes the same thing. Um, and, we it's had, using and it's sense And it's called Sense. Yeah, it's a Sense energy monitor, S-E-N-S-E. Uh, And then for water monitoring, we have a device called Flow, and it's F-L-O. It's made by Flow Technologies out of California. Um, And we actually started out as a beta test home um, Hmm. with this company. They were a semi-young startup. reached out to them, kind of told them the premise of the house, what we were expecting to accomplish with it. And... You know, whether it was monitoring or, you know, things like our countertops, even Dow Tile pitched in, Mitsubishi, you know, Pardon. pitched some, yeah, gave us, you know, some work with us on the, some of the equipment costs. People want to be involved with these projects, Interesting. these sorts of We love Dow Tile, but at the end of the day, Dow Tile is the number one air polluter in the DFW Metroplex. Wow. And so, you know, to see a company and industry like that wanting to get involved in, you know, make a difference and kind of start to go a different direction. That's been really fun to watch, wow. you know? Yeah. Um, but back to the monitoring. So, you know. So you worked with Sense? So We worked with Sense. Uh, we worked with Flow Technologies. Uh, we originally started out with a beta testing water monitor, you know, a beta monitor that they hadn't released to the public. They now, they're on the market, sold out. They're doing really well. Um, we have, I think, the third version. So the second one after, you know, since it's been brought to market. And it works great. I mean, whether you're talking about energy, you know, monitoring or water monitoring, you know, the water monitor can, can recognize individual fixtures. You know, in this house, we have one single kind of toilet. Just to it recognize- on. It's, it's all about the usage signature, whether you're talking electricity or water. It can tell by the flow rates on the water side, you know, what fixture is running. Again, it can tell the difference between the kitchen sink faucet and You know, the bathroom faucets, that are mostly the same throughout the house. Mm -hmm. The Kohler toilets are the exact same throughout the house, so that was an easy one to recognize. Um, I mean, and it really just looks at the usage patterns. Um, So, what's interesting though is, for instance, you know, here's just one scenario. Let's say you run the dishwasher, right? So, you start it, you know, the pump runs, the sense picks that up and says, oh, I recognize that pump, that's the dishwasher starting. And then, you know, it it finishes the pumping the old water out and it starts pulling water, you know, in for the for the wash cycle and the flow will pick that part up. So really, you get the full picture. You can see how much energy went into a given load of dishes or how much, you know, it cost you last year to run your dishwasher. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. you need to stop running it half full sort of thing. You know, it'll help you clue into those sorts of things. But by water, you know, monitoring the water and the electricity, it really gives you the full picture on a number of things. It's, it's really interesting. That's fantastic. Yeah. So do you know how much a typical dishwasher load runs? Typical dishwasher load, I mean, the we put in, you know, Energy Star appliances in this house. Um, the water usage is very low, it really depends on the cycle, can range from as, you know, little as maybe like three to four gallons for a quick rinse or a quick wash cycle uh, to, you know, heavy in pots and pans, I mean, that can use about 10 gallons. Um, and then, you know, depending on which, which run cycle you're using, if, if, it, used, you know, if it heats the water and, and you have like a heated dry, that'll add some to the you know, electricity usage oh, okay. for that, that cycle. But overall, I'm, I'm a little relieved just because it, it doesn't, in, in the end, use quite as much as I was expecting it to. Um, so, but those are insights that without these technologies, we wouldn't have. Yeah. You, you What's know, been your biggest user? biggest user has probably been Are you talking about water or electricity well, well it's interesting okay. there it, it's hard to say what the biggest user is because it, it comparing some things doesn't make sense sure. and a good example of that is you know the main uh, air conditioner zone downstairs mm-hmm. if I have that set two degrees below you know the ambient temperature in the room so we have the two plus degree differential that thing's going to turn on and run more like a traditional forced air setup at full capacity. You know, it depends on how much ground it has to make up. So let's just say we crank it down even three degrees. The max, you know, consumption for for that you know individual zone is probably about eighteen hundred watts. But then where it starts to get a little tricky is if I go over to the sink and I run the the disposal. That uses about fifteen hundred watts. Same. So it's about you know consumption and the amount that it's pulling while it's running but the duration is important too and that's something that on the HVAC side is important about the mitsubishi equipment and why it really is different in that it can vary the amount that it has to draw to change the temperature and either draw it out over a longer period of time at lower usage levels or go ahead and get the thing cooled down and and turn off completely so Really, it just it depends on the needs of the house at the time. So, mm-hmm. have you ever compared the like a conventional system to Mitsubishi? So, actually, actually have and it, it kind of just worked out that you know we've built a number of homes on this one block in Midway Hollow, and so interesting. Yeah, and they're about the same size. Uh, they're obviously you know the houses we were building before were built closer to code, whereas the passive you know passive houses way far beyond that. Um, but it's been interesting because, you know, we put energy monitors on each of those homes. We were, you know, when I came to work with Kyle, he was already putting solar on every house he built. He was already putting rainwater harvesting systems on every house he built, tankless water heaters. So really... Kyle, is doing
1: awesome. Yeah, he's
4: doing <laughs> awesome. But there's no solar currently on this home. No solar currently on this home because we can't take the federal tax credit, only the homeowner can, I but see. we have it pre-wired, which a lot of times... And is, then they will have... See, and that's no energy bill. Yeah, I mean, whether they we have two systems designed for the house, one will meet 100% of its theoretical, you know, consumption in a given month or a year. Uh, the other is way above that for about a you know, $8,000 additional investment on the solar. You won't pay an electric bill, you'll get a check back every single month, and I think there's real value in that. Do you remember how many KW would be in those arrays? I think 4.2 would cover about. One hundred percent. Yeah, Plus, make it about yeah. net zero. Annual net zero. Mm-hmm. Annual net zero. And then the second system we have designed, I think, is nine point four kilowatts. Yeah, I think that. And true. again, it's an eight thousand dollar incremental investment. But I mean, that not only are you getting a check back, you know, you don't have to factor in that portion of your utilities. And you this know, kind of tire would probably be amenable to it anyway. I'll put it to you this way: Everyone that we've talked to that has seriously considered the home has gone for the larger system wow that's good to know yeah. but again since it's pre-wired really you install the panels install the um you know hook it in we already have it ready to go i mean it's already essentially wired into the breaker box i mean you just put the inverter on the house put the panels on the house and you're done How, so. has the energy monitoring uh,
2: been a sales tool in terms of people coming in seeing the home, how little it actually uses, and then it's a very easy logical conclusion to say, well, I, can, I know
4: this upsell is going to make me a return over X number of years, right? It's been really interesting because we, on this Passive House, we've connected everything that we can possibly connect. I mean, we've got the water heater, the dimmers or Wi-Fi dimmers. Uh, you can control the irrigation system that's drip, by the way. It's a drip irrigation system. Wait, uh, the whole yard is drip irrigation? The, whole, yeah. the entire yard. We put, I think, oh, three control. and a half miles of drip, <laughs> in this house. Oh, that's great. Uh, Let's the carbon footprint of that. Yeah. It's amazing it, the water evaporation that you're not going to have. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, and I don't know how it works in the rest of the state or, you know, the U.S. But in, in Dallas, at least, because you have rainwater harvesting systems and drip irrigation, you're not subject until a level five water conservation alert. Mm-hmm. You know, to you can water any time of day as much or as frequently as you want. You're not subject to water restrictions until it it is an extreme level of drought. And it's just, it's amazing. I mean, and a lot of people too that don't have a separate irrigation water meter for their sprinkler, you know, all that usage, all that water that they're throwing on their yard is factoring into their sewage charge at the end of the month. And the sewage charge is more often than not more expensive than the clean water coming into the house, you know, because the cost of treatment is insanely hot. Yeah, and that's the gift that keeps on giving, too, because they'll set your
1: black water charge and keep it that way for a whole year.
4: Exactly. And that's
1: particularly
2: poignant for us in Austin, because we just came off of a water boil um, mandate in the city, because the flooding that was caused in central Texas Mm -hmm. essentially wiped out our filtration system's capacity. Mm -hmm. We were, the city could produce 105 gallons a day, and we were consuming 120 gallons, something like that? Wow. Or million. million. Right? million yeah, I to say a yeah. multiplier on that. Yeah. yeah.
4: Um, so yeah, as far as, you know, using the energy monitoring as a sales tool, it's been really interesting. Um, I think it appeals to people for a number of reasons. On the energy side, you know, there's a lot of information that a homeowner can glean from access to this sort of data. I had one of our homeowners reach out to me just, you know, last week and he asked me, he said, hey, you know, my pool pumps are using 30 to $40 more electricity than they used last month. Why do you think that is? So, you know, remotely I was able to tell him, you know, if, if it's probably just a more restricted flow through your filter. I said, what is your, you know, filter pressure? Turns out you need to clean this filter. It's back down to where it needs to be. So, there are incredible opportunities. You can even awesome. see, yeah. You, know, you can even see if you know you're out of town and you know that no one's in the house, and you see banks of lights starting, you know, flipping on. You know, someone's in your house. Mm-hmm. You know, so there. You can, you know. Make security tools out of that. There are a lot of different things, in, you know, that these insights can give you. And mm-hmm. uh, make thing, the invisible visible. You exactly, know? exactly. But what's funny is, you know, since we have all these connected features in the house, we, we're including an iPad with this one. Mm-hmm. And on the iPad, you know, during showings, I'll leave, you know, the thing on, just leave the screen on on the energy monitor. And what's been funny is as people realize that things that they do in the house will, you know, make this energy monitor change, cause changes on it, they'll walk around and they'll go and, you know, turn the microwave on to see how much it's going to cost them to microwave their dinner for two minutes, you know, frozen dinner. Uh, they'll go around flipping banks of lights on and off. They'll go and mess with the air conditioner. And it's just funny to see these people intrigued by this information, mm-hmm. you know, because and considering the cost of installing this type of monitoring, again, since it's not circuit by circuit monitoring, it's really inexpensive to put in, and quite frankly, it, it's anyone can put it in, you know, as long as you know to turn the you know entire breaker box off before you do it, it's really not hard. Um, another thing, as far as the water monitoring is concerned, when we first started working with this company, you know, their business model was a lower cost on the front end with a monthly subscription or yearly subscription cost, and it wasn't high. But you know, it's something that, especially, you know, with early adopters, they they might not want to shell out for every year. So we ended up working with, and one of the you know important features, it doesn't just monitor which fixtures have been running, where your total water usage went. You know, um, the the most you know the coolest feature in my mind is the ability to turn the water off to the house at any time. Boom. If this monitor, this flow monitor sees a usage signature or pattern that it does not recognize or that is over certain thresholds. Over five gallons a minute for a 10 minute period of time, uh, seven and a half gallons a minute for you know five minutes, it's got these different, you know, and it'll send you an alert. It'll send you an alert on your phone as a push notification. It can text you and they will also call you. And depending on the situation, the rate of flow and how out of, you know, yeah, it's been how a much longer. is deviating from the normal it'll either turn the water off and ask you if you want to turn the water back on or they'll call you and say, hey, we think something's going on. Do you want to turn the water off? Mm -hmm. So it's not something that you're going to go have three people showering at once and it's going to trip it and cut the water off to your house. It's an intelligent system. It's just a matter of how you want to go about these things. That's huge. It's huge. I mean, just, you know, picture yourself. You're in Colorado over Christmas skiing. You know, we get a cold snap here in Dallas and, you know, and, of course, it's going to be a lot harder for the pipes in the passive house to freeze than, you know, traditional home. Yeah. Um, but the beauty of that is if you see that cold snap and you know no one's at your house, you can turn the water off to your house. You don't have to worry about it leaking or freezing or anything like that. So we've been working... And then the water damage claim that you don't have. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so what we actually did was I reached out to a number of the large insurance carriers, AIG, Chubb, State Farm. Yeah. I worked with them on doing this. Reached out to these carriers... And we had them create a discount for the flow. It is exactly what they give you for a monitored alarm system. Huh. So it's $150 a year off of your homeowners. So, you know, with someone who doesn't have any water monitoring, you can pay it, it can pay for itself in two, three years, you know, including the install. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, so it's a neat deal, and now they've totally changed their business model where they say if you give them the ability to turn the water off at their will rather than them alerting you each time, if your house floods, they will pay your deductible. No way. Yeah, so not only did we have them create a discount, we've come up with this program where wow. they're taking some responsibility. They're, they're confident in this product, and based on you know my experience with it, I, I will not own a home that doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. You know? Because they're just trying to mitigate risk. They're the just the trying day. to mitigate yeah. risk. And at the end of the day, I mean, water damage can be really costly. Yeah. And it's one of those things that you can clean it up. But if your house, you know, you're out of town, on away on business for a month, and you're, you know, you have a leak day one or two, mm-hmm. even once you clean that up, you're going to have lasting effects, you know? And so they know this. I think it's a really, really neat tool. So, it, you know, on both sides. energy. Is there and, another shutoff, excuse me, out by the street? So there's, yeah, so there's a shutoff at the meter. There's a shutoff between the meter and the flow. And then the flow acts as an additional, it's really a secondary shutoff for the house. So Mm -hmm. to meet code, obviously, you have to have a shutoff in the house. So So all the supply to the house flows through the flow. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, it's really neat. It just gives you the the overall picture and people just they love it you know they really like it that is awesome and it's been really fun to watch our homeowners embrace and use this technology it's not something that they just you know check once a month or whatever (laughs) to make sure you know when they get a high bill like these guys have the alerts set up they know when something's going on and you know, since is coming out with some really interesting features on the security side, so they, not just the passive house, but your other
1: Fagan partners projects, you're putting in flows and sense.
4: Yeah. And there was, you know, one of, one of the homeowners that I've talked about, he opted for it. He wanted it. Another one, I just wanted to monitor the house. And when the thing cost $275, I mean, your barrier to entry is pretty low, you know, it's worth, it's worth having that information to me, you know, to have an out of pocket expense for it. Mm-hmm. So, well, and it's not even my house that's the thing so <laughs>
3: back to using it as a sales tool I mean since it hasn't sold yet I mean it's <laughs> not really hard to tell but but you know when, when they're looking at this thing and it says that the house is with the lights on and the air going and it's running at that current time at four cents a minute or, or an hour or six cents an hour that's that's pretty impressive you yeah. know yeah. Um, and then the other thing with the sense monitor, we have a friend we actually have one in here somewhere getting ready to put in for a friend he has a rental property and, and it has a back house garage apartment. Submetering. And so, yeah, so he, he says they're always you know, bitching about how much electricity they <laughs> the other one really spent or didn't, you know, he sort of has to guess and so he's putting one in to just to, he'll know exactly now. That's Yeah. Smart yeah. Now. yeah.
4: So it's neat. We'll just take the house's consumption because the power goes from the pole through the house to the back house. We're just gonna monitor of the house, and you can back out the back house each month and get an exact number. That is awesome. So, there are a ton of applications. Yeah,
1: it's really what you guys are doing, man. This is how the industry culture shifts. You know, it doesn't just suddenly make a right turn. It gradually, gradually, the super tanker <laughs> shifts. We did not finish talking about the difference between conventional and VRF. From the power data that you're collecting, you yeah, data
4: points there. So this has been an interesting project because, like I said, you know, this house is on the same block as a number of other houses that we built. I think before, I think in all, what, whatever we have, seven, yeah, seven on a single, you know, street in Midway Hollow here in Dallas. Um, so the thing that's been interesting is, you know, having the passive house right there on the same block as these other houses that I'm monitoring. I have. nearly identical orientations I can control for square footage the you know temperature and humidity numbers are identical yeah you really don't get in the real world much closer to an apples to apples comparison of a conventional construction home with green features and something like the passive house that's you know takes it to the next level so it's been really interesting to you know I'll, I'll call you know Joe and say, hey, do you mind leaving your AC on 71 for me the whole day, going about your day normally, and so I can just compare these two? He's great with it. He loves it. He loves the passive house. And so I can really compare these two houses in identical conditions, same geographic area, same orientation, and, and really see the differences between how these two houses perform. And it's interesting because not only is the passive house – overall consumption lower you would expect to see that but when you look at a graph of the consumption over the course of the day on the conventional construction there's spikes tons of spikes and they're not exactly and it's bouncing all around and i believe that there are three zones in that house so it's three zone three zone for you know each um but the spike it's interesting because you know the way that the vrf mitsubishi systems work is their variable capacity and so, you know, they can run as low as what 10 percent capacity, fifteen percent fifteen percent capacity, all the way up to a hundred. Whereas even though we put in, you know, dual speed variable speed, you know, setups in the conventional construction home, we still have huge spikes because it's it's the same as a car having you know two gears or one gear versus infinite gears. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. It's just it's able to avoid the spikes. It is, you know, can run for shorter periods of time at higher capacity if needed, or lower, you know, capacity for a long period of time for something like dehumidification. That's not something that even the upgraded above and beyond systems that we put in these conventional construction homes, you know, are, can offer. So what about so, the numbers? How high are these things going? Ton for ton, um, the Mitsubishi is vastly lower. It doesn't have the, the the on and off. Think of it as like almost like a light switch sort of spikes that you know we see in this other house. And you know, overall, I mean, if if we were had a time of use sort of billing here in Texas, I mean, it, the Mitsubishi would be an absolutely no-brainer just from that standpoint. You know. Aside from the fact that the overall consumption is, is vastly lower ton for ton, I mean this these VRF systems just make so much more sense for especially our climate, but for you know other even milder climates. You know we have a pretty extreme climate here. You know it's very humid, hmm. can be very very hot. I mean I think the average one day this past summer was what like hundred yeah, and eleven. And very hot this. Time. Yeah, and those aren't. You know, temperatures that that most mechanical setups are, are designed to. But at the end of the day, I mean, the Passive House had zero problem keeping up. It was maintaining set temp. And, and it's you just keep it relatively low, right? Yeah. And, 72 you know, it, or 70? So we keep it typically on 70 or 71. And, you know, with our other houses, we'll keep them on like 74 when they're on the market, try to save some money. But I need the numbers out of this house, and I know that. So it's worth, you know... With this house, it doesn't cost us really anything. You know, maybe fifteen extra bucks a month or something to keep it on a, you know, a, a temperature that would be reasonable for an occupant if they were you know working from home and there all day. Mm-hmm. And we have you know the lights. A lot of the lights are on these Wi-Fi dimmers that we have set up to you know turn on and off throughout the day and at night especially. It'll make it look like someone's at home. So it's not like the house is sitting dormant on seventy or seventy one with. No activity. I mean, we've got the recirculating pump running about every 30 minutes. It just, you know, runs as needed. Um, but we've got lights on. But again, I mean, we've got LED in both the conventional construction home and, you know, this passive house. So, you know, the lighting load on this house is, is negligible. That's great. Yeah. All right. So have you guys monitored your own home? Any lessons learned there? Yeah, we monitored, yeah, we've monitored our own homes. It's funny because... We'll, you know, be talking to people and telling them about the passive house, and they'll turn to Kyle and be like, "So, do you live in a really efficient house?" And you want to tell them a little bit
3: about your house. Have, I live in a house that was built in 1930, and it is the antithesis of the path, passive house <laughs> uh, um, and <laughs> the leaky house. It's the, the leaky house. Uh, yeah, we've got many, many air changes an hour going on here. Um, and I guess it was maybe a month and a half ago, Connor was. Dinking around with the sense on my house, he goes, "Dad, I got some really bad news for you." And I was like, "Oh, what is it?" And he said, "Your pool pump uses as much energy as the passive house." <laughs>
4: <laughs> that that's, not, that's in a
3: given day. I mean, it's 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 crazy. Like, that is not good. So uh, <laughs> that is not good. We we traded that out for a, a a much more economical pool pump, and I think we cut the cost on it by 80 something
1: percent 85 percent yeah yeah it it strikes me that making the invisible visible is a theme here and it it just strikes me that the electric grid you know the the energy the, the resource consumption and the space and the logistics of the power lines all around this is a massive machine and yet we the end users to us it's largely invisible we don't even know. The only time we really know is when we pay our utility bills. But those are triggered by a credit card or an automatic debit now, so
4: we don't even see that. And it's too late. By the time you get it, you've already run the bill. That's
1: right. It's retro. Like our cars, you know, even if it's a Tesla… You have to go get some fuel somewhere mm-hmm. every once in a while. So there's some and you know tangible how much fuel relationship. Is being used, right. Say that again. You know how much fuel is being used because you have a gauge. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So yeah. our house, it's just So we need we need data. We need to do this. Did you do any data collection in the passive house related to air quality?
4: I did. I did. Um, we had a Fubot monitor, and I reached out to them, and they you know helped me analyze the data and sift through it. And what was interesting is with, you know, the, the filters that we have in there that are essentially, you know, one step down from hospital grade filters, um, just coupled with the fact that the house is well ventilated, uh, the stale air in the house is exhausted. It's well circulated. Um, what's we your were, CO2? Yeah. Well, the problem was the CO2 meter was not sensitive enough to pick up our CO2 levels in the house. So oh my we abandoned that whole deal, you know, the particulate, uh, matter numbers, I mean were super low and the CO two level was stuck on four fifty and it was lower than that. So Wow. We tried. <laughs> but you know one of the problems too your house was too clean for the Yeah, food. I was really proud. I was like, ah oh, darn, too bad. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day it, it's a little hard because the reason that I think that, you know, the sense monitor and the flow water monitor are making a difference is because it gives people access to information. It lets them understand how the house is performing, what, what the conditions are. Like a dashboard, are. yeah. Exactly. It's, it's just, just access How the to things information. they do are affecting yeah. the reality. And a lot of times, mm-hmm. if you give people the option and they understand what they stand to gain by making a, you know, a change or something like that, they'll do it. Mm-hmm. They'll do it, because who doesn't want to save money? I mean, it doesn't matter if you have a you know, 1400 square foot apartment or, you know, 8,000 square foot house, money's money, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so if you give people the access to, to this information, let them, you know, take these insights, form their own insights and adjust their behavior from there. You don't have to crank your AC up to 76 to, you know, to be comfortable in the, you know, to have a reasonable electricity bill in the summer. It's probably your pool pump, you know? But there, the thing is by, by You know, unveiling (laughs) this whole deal and understanding the breakdown and where things are coming from and how it all works together and comes together, you know, you're able to to get the low hanging fruit that you didn't even know, you know, was there.
1: Mm -hmm. I think that's a decent place to end. Any final thoughts, either one of you? Uh,
4: You know, I just think that
3: our another one of our hopes is that over time people will come to understand how these things impact them, how they impact the environment. Um, that you know really smarter way to do things is, is smart, is smaller, and better. And, and I think, you know, I think things are heading that way in Europe. I mean, passive is the standard mm-hmm. now in almost every country. So we're a little bit behind the eight ball, but uh, we're doing what we can and trying to do what we can to uh, help move
4: things that direction. Mm-hmm. Well said. And I think one thing that we've been talking about lately is, you know, I don't think that we necessarily want anyone to think that Passive is the only way to accomplish some of these goals That's that, point. you know, we set out to do. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a passive house. It, it doesn't, you know, to be efficient. It, it really, it's just doing what you can, you know, and, and it's, it's the small things that in the end make a difference. And, You know, whether you're building passive or you're building just, you know, a a spec home built to code, I mean, Kyle and I feel like we do have, you know, some level of responsibility as builders, you know, as far as, you know, our homeowners are concerned and for their benefit. And just because, you know, with what we build today, I mean, this house has a life cycle. It's going to be there for a long, long, long time. And so, you know, it's not all about first cost. It's important that we consider the different options. You know, and, and, and go about it in as informed of a way as possible because at the end of the day, I mean, we are baking in both emissions and costs for our homeowners. Absolutely. And you know, it, it, so it's really not all about first cost. We have a responsibility to do the right thing by them. And so it really shouldn't just come down to the money because um, a lot of times with a lot of these new technologies or options or tweaks, you end up saving money in the end. It's just a, a, a matter of engaging with the topic and figuring out what the best way to, you know, attack it is. Yeah, I think okay. a, helping people to make informed decisions at different,
3: at every, you know, point along the way is, 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 is what we are
1: obligated to do. And then what they decide, that's up to them, you know. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Wonderful. Great conversation. Um, thank you for your caring and your curiosity that is leading our world forward. And uh, thank you all for listening. We'll talk at you next time.